Thank you. This is uh, Brother Gene, Dr. Gene uh, Andrews. He's uh, Chacoinity, where you live. That's where it is. Chacoinity preaches not too far down the road at a church over there. Uh, what's the name of the church? Wilkinson, Wilkinson Church Christ. I was going to say Wilkerson, but I know no. that's not the same place. Yeah. So he's he's been uh, preaching for them now. He's done a lot of preaching, I'm sure, over his <laughs> career. So yeah. we just want to thank him for being here. And, uh, we know each other, but we don't know each other real well. Right, he's, actually, real well he's actually related to uh, the Cox family and, and Sarah. Uh, so that's that's how everything's connected. So we're, we're glad you're here, brother. Let's pray for you, All and right. we'll get, I'll get you that clear. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for the day, and I thank you for Brother Gene coming down here to preach and we just ask that you bless him and bless his time and use him greatly and let him bring the word so that we might be blessed and, and have what you have uh, have in store for us thank you lord for your blessings thank you for your faithfulness and i look thank you for your word lord it's in jesus name we pray amen yeah, appreciate you. you it's good to be with you and to be able to share with you over these next three days as we uh, look into god's word and said i've been preaching now for about 50 years getting close to it and uh in various capacities and uh, enjoying that and uh, about five years ago I retired from full-time ministry and uh, working harder now than I ever worked before because uh, I'm preaching on weekends at a church the Wilkinson Church of Christ and then the week I work at the Wilkerson Funeral Home over in Greenville so um, that keeps me going uh, uh, pr pretty much all the time my, my wife told me when I said something about retiring she said you're not staying home so um, so I had, had to go out and get a couple of jobs to keep me going and and uh, and uh, kind of keep keep out of her hair so she could keep her sanity as well. Uh, I think Dennis Crehan was in with you last fall. Does that name ring a bell? Was was it last fall when Dennis Crehan was here speaking? Okay, yeah. And uh, Dennis Dennis was a student of mine when I taught at uh, Mid Atlantic Christian University. I taught the preaching program. He was an older student. Uh, he had had a career um, and then became a Christian later in life. And he and his wife decided in ministry and so Dennis came my first year of teaching at college was his first year as a student at college and so um, he, we kind of both learned college together through that time and then uh, Dennis went on to a great ministry at the Jarvisburg Church of Christ and then he retired and uh, he lives about 20 minutes from where we live now so Dennis is my golfing buddy and so we get together and pl play, play golf and I told him I was coming here and he says to say hi and he enjoyed being with you last fall and uh, it's good for me to be able to be with you here uh, this year. Tonight as we begin looking at this message, I just want to ask the basic question is, um, are you ready for revival? Are you ready for revival? Now imagine if you would for just a moment a hunting club. Any, any of you part of a hunting club, a, a fishing club, a uh, golf club. Now, imagine, if you will, if you were a member of a hunting club, but nobody ever hunted. Or imagine if you were a member of a fishing club, but nobody ever fished. Or you are a member of a golf club, but nobody ever played golf. What does that have to do with tonight? What if you're a part of a church, but you're never reaching out with the message of Jesus Christ? And you're never bringing people in to know Jesus Christ. And you're never going out fishing for men, as Jesus said we are to do. You're never going out and doing the task 
that Jesus assigned for his church to do when he said, Before he ascended into heaven, go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It wouldn't be much of a hunting club if there's no hunting going on. And it wouldn't be much of a fishing club if there's no fishing and much, much of a golf club if there was no golf. Yet sometimes we get content with think we're being the church when we're not doing what God has called us to do. And so that's one of the reasons for revival. It's one of those times to try to challenge us and encourage us to be what God wants us to be. Now, let, let me see. Oh, yeah. I, I want to make sure this thing works here for me. Now, I grew up going to revivals. Uh, I, my family heritage is in the church from way back to my great-great-great-grandfather um, had been a chaplain in the Civil War. And then after that, he uh, started a church. Matter of fact, he started the church where Kurt Honecker preaches, the the uh, Christian Chapel Church down uh, near Robertsonville, North Carolina. And it continued on through through my family. So so I, I have a history in the church, and I remember going to revivals as as a young man. Matter of fact, some of the first ones I remember going to was the Williamson Church of Christ, Archie, where Archie was before he came here. Uh, my family helped start that. My mom and dad were part of the nucleus that started that church there about 60 years ago now. I think I was about eight years old when that started, so that would put it 60 years ago. And so they were part of that nucleus, and I remember going to those revivals. And what I remember about revivals were that you had a preacher who came in who wasn't your regular preacher, he usually preached a lot longer than what the usual guy preached on Sunday morning. Many times he preached a lot louder than the guy did on Sunday mornings. Uh, in those days, uh, if, if Archie's ever told you much about Martin County, North Carolina, where he used to preach, there are a number of Christian churches, Churches of Christ in that area, and so they would come to your revival and you'd go to their revival, so usually a full house every night, and they were just some, some really you know, uh, great times of singing, great times of preaching, great times going on. But even as a kid, after the week of revival was over with, I don't remember them being too much different than they were the week before revival. In other words, there was a revival, but there was no reviving. There was no change, there was no new passion or, 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 or no new commitment what was going on there. And so when we think about this term revival and what it means to have a revival, um, we got here uh, this, this word here, um, and the, the basic noun revival means an improvement in the condition or the strength of something. An instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. Some synonyms for revival, you see them there, improvement, a rally, a picking up, turn for the better, a comeback, a resurgence, or a renewal. Revival, really, when you get to that word vibe, vivacious, those types of words, it means life. And so revival means to have new life, to be restored, to be renewed, to, to, to be reactivated in, in your life. And so the question is, again, are you ready for revival? And one of the things, one of the problems we have in the church sometimes is we equate the word revival with two or three or four days of preaching. It's a revival meeting. But my question is, are you ready for revival? Are you ready for God to do something? 
Are you ready for God to challenge you to go deeper in your faith? Are you ready for God to maybe open your heart more to somebody that you know who does not know Jesus and to be willing to share your love of Jesus with that person that you love? Are you ready to commit yourself deeper to the work of the church and to finding your place of ministry in this church or increasing your role in the life of the church? Are you ready for revival and maybe making a greater commitment and a greater sacrifice to help the church become what it's to be? That is, are you ready for revival? Not for tonight's service and tomorrow night's service and Sunday morning service and say, we had revival, but are you ready for revival? Maybe you heard the story of the lady that every year their church would have the revival and usually about the last night of the revival, um, during the service sometime, she would stand up and she would say, fill me, Lord, fill me. And every year she'd do the same thing. Next, next year, fill me, Lord, fill me. Third year, fill me, Lord, fill me. Fourth year, fill me, Lord, fill me. Fifth year, she stands up again, fill me, Lord, fill me. And one of the men should have said, don't do it, Lord, she leaks. You know, and, and, and that's what happens sometimes, you know, we leak. And so we need something to challenge us and to encourage us and to keep us strengthened in our walk with the Lord. Debbie Holloway, in an article that she, she wrote, um, had, had this to say about revival. She says, there has never been a revival without passion. The word passion means highly excited, expressing strong emotion with strong feeling, zeal, eager desire, Great passion and zeal were expressed in the past revivals, and this passion for holiness, for purity of life, and for obedience. And so are we ready for that? Are we ready to have our passion for God, our passion for obedience to the will of God, our passion for living a more holy life? Are we ready for that kind of revival in our life? Well, if so, you better hold on. Because if you are willing to let God do that, if he gets a hold of you, he wants to do something significant in your life. Peter put it this way. Peter says, uh, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. Now, we kind of read through those words and all, but let's, let's get the understanding of what he's saying there. Going back into the original language, he talks about preparing your minds for action. Some of the older translations, if you have an older translation, or maybe you remember reading an older translation of Scripture, it says, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. That's good King James. But what in the world is he talking about? Gird up the loins of your mind. Well, let's go back to that particular day. That, and, and literally in the Greek, that's what it says. And the prepare your mind for action is a translation of the thought. And what gird up the loins of your minds means this. In those days, they wore a girdle. Men and women wore girdles. It was a sash they would wear around their waist. And of course, they wore robes, and they would wear the girdle to kind of keep the robe from flying out and so forth. And when they would get ready to maybe going out into the field to do some work, or they would get ready to run or do something, they would take it, and they would reach down, and they would pull the robe up and they would tuck it into the girdle and the girdle was around the loins so you see 
you put the girdle, you put the robe into that girdle that's around the loins. In other words, what they're doing is they're getting ready to go to work. So gird up the loins around. And what he's saying is get ready to go to work. Now today we would use the term roll up your sleeves. Get ready to go to work. And so that's what Peter is saying. Gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to go to work. If you want God to do a revival, you've got to allow God to do his work. So how can we do that? How can we get ready for God to do his work, his work of revival within us? Well, the first thing we can do is that we can make kingdom living a priority in our lives. Jesus was speaking to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, he had just said um, in about chapter 6, beginning of verse 25, he, he had talked to them about not worrying about what they're to eat or what they're to drink or what they're to wear. You know, um, God's take care of all these other things. And so don't let all these other things distract you and worry you. And then he says there in verse 33, but seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. And these other things will be provided for you as well. In other words, if we want God to do a revival, we've got to make kingdom living a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, kingdom living is not something that comes naturally for us. Living a life fully and wholly committed to God is not something that, that really just comes naturally. It's something we have to, as Peter says, gird up the loins of our mind. We have to prepare to do that. Because there are so many distractions that are out there. Now, I commend you for being here on a Friday night. There are many places you could have been. And there are so many distractions in this life. So many things that pull our time and our energies and our finances and, and everything else. That kingdom living kind of gets put down to the bottom. But kingdom living is important. And he says, seek this. And the word that he used there when he says, seek first the kingdom, make that a priority, that word seek is something that doesn't mean you do it one time. Hey, I sought the kingdom of God. I'm a Christian now, so I've done that part. No, the word in its original meaning is a word that carries the tense, seek and continually seek. It's not a one-time thing. Seeking God's kingdom and living righteously is something that you get up and you start new every morning and probably every hour you continue to do that and you're continually seeking god's kingdom and his righteousness as we let our light shine for jesus as we seek his kingdom then he is able to do the work of revival within us but if we're allowing other things to distract us and other things to pull us away from him he doesn't have much to work with so if we want to have revival, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Make kingdom living a priority in your life. A second thing that we can do if we want to um, have revival in our life is that we need to remain faithful to the word of God. Timothy, Timothy was Paul's young protege in the faith. Uh, Paul picked Timothy up when he was on one of his missionary journeys. He stopped in the, in the town where Timothy lived. Uh, he was a friend of Timothy's mother and grandmother. And when he was leaving, he asked permission to take young Timothy with him. And Timothy kind of became his follower. And Paul refers to him sometimes as my son in the faith. 
And Paul writes to Timothy um, after he leaves him in charge of the church at Ephesus. And he writes to Timothy and he's trying to encourage him in his faith. He's trying to encourage him because he knows that Timothy is taking a lot of flack. Timothy's young. And there are some in the church who think maybe Timothy's too young for the job. Uh, they, are, they are not treating him well because of his youth. Uh, Paul said on one occasion, Timothy, don't let anybody look down on you because you're young. You know, don't, don't let that become a problem for you. You just remain bold and you remain steadfast. And he says to Timothy there in 1, Peter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine closely, remaining faithful to the word. Uh, and then he goes on to say right after that, he says, persevere in them, that is in your life and your doctrine persevere in them because if you do you will save both yourselves and your hearers now what's he saying there watch your life and watch your doctrine closely in the original language those words are are, are the words life and doctrine carry with the idea of orthopraxy and orthodoxy that word ortho that we use um, we talk about going to the orthopedist are going to the orthodontist. The, the work of the ortho, the word ortho means to make straight. So you go to the orthodontist to get your teeth straight. You can get those braces in there or whatever they have to do to get teeth straight. And so that idea of being straight. And so he says, watch your life, your orthopraxy, your practice. Make sure that how you live your life is straight, is right, is true. And that Praxy word, for which we get our word practice, your orthopractice. Now, we give doctors a hard time sometimes about practicing medicine, or maybe lawyers that they practice law. And we say, when are they ever going to get good enough where they can quit practicing and start really doing it? Well, yeah, but really, they, they probably have it. Because what it simply means is you learn to do something, then you do it. You practice what you have learned. You put into practice the things that you have. And so he says, watch your life, your orthopraxy. Make sure that you're putting into practice the things that you have learned. But he says, also watch your doctrine closely, your orthodoxy. Make sure your doctrine, your teaching, your beliefs, make sure they're straight. Make sure they're true and faithful to the word and, and to God's will. And so it is for us. If we want God to do a work within us, if we want to have revival, we've got to make sure that we're watching our life, our orthopraxy, well. That we are living the way God would have us to live. But also we've got to watch our orthodoxy. That we are believing the things that God has presented for us within his word. We're being faithful to the teaching of God's word, the things that we've been taught. And my prayer is, that in your life, that you will watch your life and your doctrine closely. Because that's the kind of life that God works in to carry out his will and his purpose for his kingdom. Something else we can do if we want um, to have revival. And that is, we can deal proactively with the sin that's in our lives. Deal proactively with the sin in our life. Now, one of the first things we've got to deal with proactively with the sin in our life is to recognize that we are sinners. 
And we like to think, those people over there are sinners. I've got it pretty much together. No, we, none of us have it together. We are sinners. We try to hide it. We try to, try to soft sell it. We try to uh, make, well, mine's not as bad as somebody else. We do all kinds of things to try to cover up when we mess up, right? Maybe you heard about the man. He was driving uh, one day, and the, and, the, and the police officer pulled him over for speeding. And he comes up to the window, and he looks at the man, and he, said, he says, could I have your license, please? And the man says, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I don't have a driver's license. You don't have a driver's license? No, sir, I don't have a driver's license. He said, well, how about your registration for your car? He said, well, sir, to be honest with you, uh, this is not my car. I stole it. But I think the registration's in the glove box over there. I saw it when I put my gun in there. Placeman pulls out his gun, says, get out of that car, and gets him out, and he carries on a conversation. You mean, what do you mean you got a gun in there? He says, yeah, I used it when I robbed the convenience store down on the corner. And so the officer's calling all kinds of help in, and you got all kinds of police officers coming in, and of course the sergeant in charge shows up, and they got the man laid in his handcuffs and so forth. And after a while, the sergeant comes and says, sir, we've looked into this, and you do have a driver's license. You gave us your name when we looked at You do have a driver's license. And that is your car. Now, now my, my officer said when he stopped you, you said that you didn't have a driver's license. And he said that this wasn't your car. And he said that you had a gun and that you held up a store down here. We don't have any record of a store. And the man looked up at the sergeant. He said, I bet that police officer told you I was speeding to you, isn't he? You can't believe a word that man says. Yeah, yeah. We, we try to do all kinds of things we can to try to make ourselves come out well in the end and make ourselves look good. But one of the things we have to do is say, I am a sinner. I have messed up in my life. And not only have, but I continue to have issues in my life that I confront and I deal with and that they are sin. And we've got to, to deal with that and allow God to work on us in that way. So how do we do that then? Well, one of the ways we can do that is simply by confessing it. John writes these words in 1 in John chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. He says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim that we have not sinned, we are a liar. And the truth is not in us. Now, some people like to use that verse, and if they're talking to somebody who's a non-Christian, who's never been saved, and they say, see, it says right here, all you've got to do to be saved is confess your sins. Well, remember who John wrote this to. John did not write this verse to a non-Christian world. John wrote this verse to a church. He's writing it to Christians. And he's saying to Christians who've already been saved, who've already had their sins forgiven in their Christian baptism, he's saying to them, but still, you've got to confess your sins. And you can't live life as if you have no sin in your life. You need to confess, you need to acknowledge the sin in your life. But beyond that, we also need to turn from that sin. We see that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. So are we sorry for our sins? 
so sorry that we're willing to turn away from it. That word turn away means to repent, to make a U-turn. Are we willing to leave that life of sin, no matter how pleasurable it may be, no matter how, how, how good it is doing for us, we think in our life, are we willing to reverse directions and go in the other direction? Back a few years ago, I was traveling from where we live in Chocowinity up Elizabeth City. I was teaching on Mondays up at um, Mid-Atlantic Christian University. And on that drive, um, I was driving between Williamston and, and, um, and Windsor, as a matter of fact. Um, no, between, yeah, between Williamston and Windsor, somewhere there. And, and I was going up there, and there was a car pulled over to the side of the road by a police officer, you know. And so I keep on going, and I'm on up. And I'm about 50 miles or so on up further up the highway, and I look, and I see this car in the right-hand lane there flying on that four-lane road. And he passes right on by me. He's going like crazy. You know who it was? It was the guy who the copper had pulled back there 50 miles before. I'm sure he was sorry he got that ticket. I'm sure he was sorry that he got caught. But he wasn't sorry enough for that to slow down. Sometimes in the Christian life, we're sorry we get caught. And we may feel bad about our sin. But Scripture says that godly sorrow does what? Leads to repentance. Leads to making that change in our life. And so we need to confess it. We need to turn from it. And also, we need to be cleansed from it. The Apostle Paul was told by Ananias, he says, And now what are you waiting for? Arise and being baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Having our sin cleansed, having a new slate, a clean slate, where God has taken our sins and that he has buried them in that water of Christian baptism, where they have been left behind and we rise to live a new life, a life that is, that is new in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. He, he, says, he says that just as Christ died and was buried, so in our baptism we too die to our old self and we are buried and we rise to a new life in Christ. And so if we want God to do a revival in us, we've got to um, acknowledge the sin, confess the sin, and if you've never been baptized into Christ to have those sins cleansed, you need to have that done as well within your life. Then God is able to do revival. Another thing we can do if we want God to do revival within us is that we need to take time to share our faith wherever we might go. In other words, don't be selfish with the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Paul says to, uh, or Peter says to us in Scripture, he says, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that's in you. If somebody that you work with or maybe a neighbor or somebody else knows that you claim to be a person of faith, that you go to church and, and you claim to be a Christian, if they were to come up to you and they were to say to you, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe in God? Do you have an answer? You have an, well, well, the Bible says, what if they say, well, I don't believe in the Bible? 
Do you have an answer for the reason for the faith that you have? Let me just quickly give you mine. And, and here's what I say. I say, we're here, aren't we? Can't deny that. We're here. This world exists. All the animals out there, the trees, there is existence. Now, where did it come from? See, that's the question. Where did it come from? Why is it that anything exists? Now, that, that'll blow your mind. That anything exists is totally inexplicable. You can't explain why anything exists. And so we've got to come up with reasons of why we think things exist. Well, maybe it was some gases that exploded, or maybe it was some matter or material that collided, or, or something, you know, something happened. And, and these things just happened, and then boom, and through a process of time and efforts and evolution, we're here. Okay, well, that's, that's one answer. Okay, my answer is that there was a creative mind who set it all in motion. That's why I believe in God. Because to me, it makes a lot more sense when you look at the complexity of the universe and you look at the complexity of the human body and you look at the complexity of life, it makes a lot more sense that there was a mind creating it than it just happened by chance. That's the reason I believe in God. And I believe that a God who is that powerful is a God who can do everything that's written in this book about him. Now, I know that might sound kind of simple, but faith is simple. And so do you have an answer? He said, always be prepared in your hearts to, to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. But then he tells you about the attitude. But do this how? With gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. In other words, when we share our faith, we don't need to be arrogant. We don't need to be smug. We don't need to be hateful or vengeful, but we need to have a good disposition as we share our faith. Do it in kindness. Do it out of love for the person that you're sharing with but always be ready to share your faith. And one of the great ways we can share our faith is through the words that we speak, but also through the life that we live. In other words, does our orthopraxy connect with our what? Our orthodoxy. Edgar Guest, uh, who lived from around 1880s to about 1959, I believe it was, um, was known at one time as, as the poet's poet, America's poet, and he wrote a poem one time, I think this kind of catches it so strongly. He, he wrote these words, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely show the way. The eye is a better pupil, it's more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but the way you act is clear. And the best of all the preachers are the ones who live their creed, for to see good put into action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action, but your tongue too fast may run. 
and the sermon you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do, for I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. In other words, our life needs to reflect our belief in Jesus Christ. And you know something? When that begins to happen, people ask questions. And when people begin to ask questions, guess what you get to do? You get to share with those around you the reason for the hope that you have. And so being willing to share our faith with others. And then one other thing that we can do as we allow God to do a revival within us is do not grow weary. The Apostle Paul wrote these words in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Oh, sometimes living the Christian life can be weary. Seeing people rejecting Christ time after time can be weary. Seeing the condition of the world can be weary. And unfortunately, some Christians think that we need to, that political answers are the answers. No, Jesus is the answer. And we've got to hold up Jesus as the answer for the situation and the problems of the world. And he says, we'll reap a harvest if we don't give up. Now, he doesn't mean that everything's going to work out like we want it to. But in the end, we will reap that final harvest with Jesus Christ. But we all can get weary. I understand that. Jeffrey, one Sunday morning, knock came at the door. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, time to get up. Time to go to church. Jeffrey kind of snuggled down in the bed a little bit more and pulled the covers up over his head. A little while later, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, time to get up. Come on, let's go. Jeffrey took the pillow and pulled it over his head, trying to hide. A little while later, the door of the room flew open. Jeffrey, it's time to get up and go to church. Let's go. Jeffrey sprung out, sprung up from that thing, took the pillow and threw it across the room. He said, I don't want to go to church. Give me three good reasons why I should go to church. She said, I'll give you four. First of all, it's Sunday. And on Sunday, God expects you to be in church. Secondly, I'm your wife. And I and your children need you to go to church with us. Thirdly, not only that, but also in there, you need to be there. You're 37 years old, and you need to quit acting like this. He said, but, but, but nobody there likes me. I, I don't want to go. What's the other reason? He goes, number four, you're the preacher, and they expect you to be there today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even preachers get weary, right? Yeah, yeah you get weary sometime along the way. But Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good because you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. My weariness was back in about 1981, somewhere around there. I'd been to school for 12 years. I'd been to four years of, of college. And I'd been in graduate school for about three or four years now. And I was getting tired of school. I was preaching at a church out in western Kentucky, and um, I was supposed to leave that Sunday night. I was speaking at the baccalaureate for the high school that night, and then after the uh, baccalaureate service, I was supposed to leave to go to Cincinnati for a, a summer school class. Uh, and 
I told Alistair that afternoon, I said, I'm not going. I'm, I'm tired of going to school. Well, we went to the baccalaureate, and a um, couple who were friends of ours, uh, he was the elder of the church. We went out to eat at a little barbecue place with them after the uh, baccalaureate service, and Alice said, uh, Gene said he's not going back to school. Pat and Larry were their names, and they said, yes, you are. Uh, Larry said, um, don't worry about things around here. We, we've got things covered. You, you go back to school. Said, I don't want to go back to school. You're going back to school. You, you need to go. So I went home, packed my bag, and took off for the four-hour drive to Cincinnati late that Sunday night. And I continued on and finished up there. And of course, of finishing up there and, and getting that degree, um, I was able to go on and be called to teach at Mid-Atlantic Christian University where they said, uh, we want you to get your doctorate as well. So w went on to that and so forth. But none of that, and, 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 and that, that was my joy of, of life, was teaching um, in the preaching programs at the college. But none of that would have ever been possible if it hadn't been for Pat and Larry saying, yes, you are. Hopefully you got a Pat or Larry in your life. Somebody that when you get weary, when you get down, you're saying, hang in there. Keep going. Things are going to be okay. You can make it. Isaiah recognized this, didn't he? Remember Isaiah? He says, even youths grow tired and weary. <laughs> even young people. Even young people get tired and they get weary sometime along the line. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will do what? Renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. And then what does he say? They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The Lord wants to do that for you. So the question again, are you ready for revival? Are you ready for more than just three sermons over the next three days. Now you only got two more to go, so hey, you're one-third of the way there. You know, but are you ready for more? Are you ready for God to do a great work in your life? And are you ready for God to do a work in this church, in this growing community that's around you, reaching people with the message of Jesus Christ? Don Wildman wrote these words about a few years ago. They're still true today. Since in 1973, the Supreme Court said it was okay to kill unborn babies. Uh, since then, we have had more than the entire population of Canada has been struck. We call it a woman's choice, but half of those who have died have been female babies. They didn't give me a choice. Me, I go to church. The minister preaches. I go home. That's what we do today. First, it was dingy, dirty theaters. Then it was in convenience stores and grocery stores. Then it was on television. Now it's in millions of homes via the internet. What's it called? It's pornography. Me, I go to church. The preacher preaches. I go home. That's what Christians do now. They called it no fault. Why should we blame anyone when something so tra tragic happens? Haven't they already suffered enough? Half the marriages in America end this way. The children suffer. The family is broken down. It's called divorce. And we see it all around us and say, me, I go to church, the minister preaches, I go home. That's what Christians do today. So it used to be an embarrassment. 
a shame. Now a third of all births are to mothers who are not married, and two-thirds of African-American children are born into a home without a father, and the state usually pays the tab. Me, I go to church, the preacher preaches, I go home. That's what Christians do now. I don't have time to read his whole thing, but he just had a whole list of things that we complain about within our culture and society that have happened all through the years. And what's the church been doing? We've been going to church, listening to the preacher preach, and then we go home. But have we been the salt and the light that the world needs out there? Have we been revived and have we been renewed? If we want revival, here it is. If we want revival in our homes, in our churches, in our cities, in our nation, in our world, it must begin with us, with you and with me. So the scripture says, repent therefore and turn back so that the time of your faults, the times of your sins may be forgiven. So I'll ask the question one more time tonight. Are you ready for revival? Are you ready for God to do something in your life as an individual? Are you ready for God to do something within the corporate body here at Oak Grove to revive and to bring life and to bring energy and to bring renewal so that we can do the task that God has set for his church to do? I pray that's so. And I pray tonight that if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you'll take care of that first thing, that you'll have those sins washed away that you can rise to live a new life. Or maybe in your own heart you need to say, Lord, there's some, there's some places I need to clean up in my life, some repentance I need to be doing. Or, Lord, I was just planning on coming and sitting through about three sermons and saying, hey, revival's over with. And maybe right now you need to be thinking, Lord, I want the revival to go on. It's just to be a start, but I want it to go on. How can you use me to do that? Archie, if you want to come up.